having a little difficulty managing my voice today, and I figured I would lip sync, and I can't do it when I get to that song. It's just really powerful. We're singing it, believing with our brothers and sisters this morning in Seoul, and maybe you've heard the news already uh, this day and age as quickly as news travels. Most of you are probably aware, but uh, Solon lost their pastor this week. Tim Hunt is a dear friend of our ministry, good friend of mine and the staff here. We see Tim every month and uh, he died in his home on Friday of a heart attack, uh, showing no signs or symptoms beforehand and stuff. And so a very devastating shock to our brothers and sisters in Solon. So the New Hope Evangelical Free Church is meeting this morning. They're still continuing as planned, but obviously with a great absence and um, bewildered minds and, and empty hearts trying to figure out where they go from here. And uh, so they're staying in touch with us, um, even relating to me this morning that they feel the prayers of God's people and that it's holding them together and stuff. And so uh, pray for Pat, uh, Tim's wife, their grown children, the great, the uh, grandchildren that are there and uh, all that need to make some sense of this. We know that death does not make sense because that's not what we were created to experience, right? That death was an intrusion as a result of, uh, of the sin of mankind. And so it's still, it's amazing to me how the Lord's never really allowed mankind to really process it. You know, that it's still this thing that is a mystery to us. And I think he lets that linger so that we understand that it was never his plan from the beginning that we would even have to taste it. And so even in these difficult times, we just rejoice in the, the greatness of our creator, all that he, all that he brings us through in the journey that we're on. And I'm going to miss Tim. I, I sit on a, on a board for the, uh, the women's shelter and I go up once a month. We have a humble little gathering somewhere in a cold room up at the church and, uh, with bad coffee. And, uh, that I never drink. I always bring my own. And, uh, I, I, Tim had never said he was offended that I didn't drink his coffee, but I didn't care. And, um, and he and I were the, the hardest ones to get under control. We always had our little pastoral zingers and our jokes and stupid things that we thought were funny that the other people in the meeting are just rolling their eyes going pastors, right? So, so I'm really going to miss his presence. And, uh, and, and so we just, uh, are, you know, any way that you can think of to support, if you have uh, family or friends or anybody that are there, Faith is trying to stay uh, as close contact with them as possible. There will be a service this Saturday uh, up in Solon, and so we'll be uh, trying to help in any way we can to help meet those needs. And uh, Pastor Ron, uh, who was here in first service, you uh, many of you will know Pastor Ron as our, our um, previous small group pastor used to interim pastor up there before they brought Pastor Tim, and so he has some close connections up there, and he's gone as an extension of our church to minister to them as well and to encourage and counsel them, and so um, so we're all over it, but at the same time, it's just really difficult. So my, my heart, my mind is there this morning. I apologize for that. I'm also dealing with a cold thing. Anybody else can relate? Can I get some testify, some witness here? How many of you are feeling something right now? Okay, how many of you aren't? Because if I ask this question next week, every hand will go up. Because those of us that are feeling something brought it to share with all of our brothers and sisters. So enjoy. That's what we're here for. The gospel is a very giving thing, you know. And so we're just sharing in any way that we can. 
But uh, we figured out a plan in the first service because I'm dealing with the thing that I have is a weird throat tickle. You know, for the most part, I feel okay, but there's just this little hesitation right about here that makes me want to sound like I'm going to laugh at everything I say, like, ha ha, you know, that kind of ha ha sound. So if I start getting into a fit like that, don't think I'm laughing at my own material. I'm just getting this kind of cat hairballish kind of thing. I don't know what it is just to be gross for you. But in the first service, we came up with a plan. This is what it was. This was not planned, but, um, Maybe you've been in a church where the style is a little bit more, shall we say, energetic from the preacher. And there's more inflection after each phrase and things. And I found that as I tried that, it felt good on my voice. So if I go through this message and start going, the Lord said (laughs) that the gospel is here. (laughs) And if I do that, it's because it brings me a little comfort in the throat. But you might get into it a little bit. You might, okay, now this is. Spirit showed up in this joint here. Okay, so who knows? All right, subject I had planned in mind that I I hope and trust that the Lord had planned uh, for me to preach on uh, is a little bit weird for a a new year type of thing. I was so thankful that Pastor Ben covered um, a lot of our thoughts, biblically speaking, of what the new year is to bring and our opportunities there and stuff last week. So so he covered that, cover, covered it uh, very appropriately so I can just move us, in a sense, into this new year. And the Lord had been putting some things on my heart and mind last year. And I was thinking about if I have the opportunity to influence some things in 2019 for our church body, what would it be? And of course, most of you know, my head has been in all of the ways that we've been reaching out as a church. We have been out there kind of beating the drum in the community about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the fact that faith cares about the loss, that we welcome people to come to our church. And there's been a lot of activity and particularly throughout all of 2018, In the bulletin this morning that Pastor Gary was referencing, the insert is basically a recap, a very high-level view of a lot of the things that that you as a church participated in, and a lot of the ways that you contributed to sharing the gospel, to sharing the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ in the greater Waterville area, and we couldn't be prouder. You know, one of the, one of the recent examples that we had was with Angel Tree, and we didn't get to write a lot about it, but when Sarah Moen sent us a report on all that took place, we were just dumbfounded by how much took place because I didn't realize at first that we put three times as many requests, three times as many angels out on our tree this year than we ever have. So in years past, I've known that um, sometimes when we put an angel tree out and we say, okay, in the first service, if you, if you can go ahead and grab an angel and then you guys come in the second service going, okay, where's our angels? But first service took them all because the church steps forward and we have this confidence that if we put something worthwhile in front of you, you're going to, to act on it. You're going to follow the, the, the voice of the Lord and, and engage in it. And so this year, I was a little stunned after the first service, and we had held some back, I think, but I was a little stunned after the first service that they weren't all cleaned out. Then I realized that we had put a gazillion of them out there because we had personal contacts with more and more people. What I'm getting at is I sense this kind of building momentum that the Lord is doing through relationships that you and I are engaging in our community and we're getting to know more and more people, people that we can be a blessing to, people that that need to be introduced to the saving love of Jesus Christ. And we're getting audience with those folks. And so I think Angel Tree was a reflection on that. And yet still, again, faith stepped up. We put all the gifts in the conference room. The staff was tripping over the gifts. We were trying not to mess it up. We were just making photocopies and we were ruining everything. 
because faith showed up in a huge way and was a huge blessing. And we get to hear the results. We get to hear the the testimonies of the lives that were changed, the tears that were shed on a Christmas morning because they were able to provide something for their kids. We get to hear that and you don't. And so we just want to let you know how critical all of your efforts have been. And, you know, for the last couple of years, we've been talking about praying more and serving more and reaching further. And it's really just picking up and it's taking off and the Lord is, is blessing in huge ways. So for that reason, I asked the Lord, I was thinking to myself, okay, so what can I do? You know that I get uh, time in the pulpit, usually about once a month or so. And, um, and Pastor Bill and I and the elders, we often kind of strategize together on vision and where is this whole thing going? And so just praying to the Lord, what are we talking about next year? What are we doing? And, I, and there was a sense of the fact of just keeping and adding on to the outreach probably isn't necessarily what we need to do. We need to do what we've done and just keep doing it better and do it well. But how are we building the house? How are we focusing on what's going on under the, uh, the, the roof, if you will, of the church? How are we making sure that God's people are strengthened and are renewed and, re- and rejuvenated so that this outreach continues to be a natural next step? or a supernatural next step in the life of the believer. And I, and I believe the Lord was kind of, you know, sharing with me my, my, my typical concern for families in particular and marriages and how marriages often lead to parenting and what parents are doing to raise their children is a subject near and dear to my heart. And so I felt like the Lord was giving me a green light to spend some time in the early part of this year teaching us a little bit on cleaning up the house and, and kind of reestablishing what goes on under our roofs and, and understanding that God is just as much in that as he is all the other great things that we were able to put on a piece of paper this morning. And so in a different way and in different times and different epics, but still it's important for us to take some time and to talk about this. If you... um are familiar at all with what faith practices in terms of, of marriage preparation. So if two people come to us and say, we want to be married, we say, if you want to be married either with the help of one of our pastors or here at the church, any way involving faith, we're going to require that you go through pre-marriage counseling. We want you to put in a good two or three months of preparation and of study and of praying together and working with a counselor and going through the principles of God's word to really understand your commitment to take some time to kind of shed off all of the cultural noise that comes into relationships and romantic love and all these kinds of things, not to make it boring or, or disinteresting or anything, but to really get an understanding of what God, all that God meant for this relationship. And so as we do that, we go through this one book is uh, very helpful. We've used it year after year after year, written by Dennis Rainey. Many of you would recognize that name. He's a the president of uh, Family Life, and Family Life is responsible for things like the Art of Marriage Seminar or Weekend to Remember and Family Life Today and all these kinds of things. And in uh, his book, Preparing for Marriage, he starts off with just a few questions that I think are very commonly relatable. We see this often in our discussions in uh, in marriage. He starts off and says, why would you want to get married? What's the whole point? You're here for a reason. You have reasons. Do you know what they are? And so he asks these questions to walk people through it. He says, are you here for personal fulfillment? Possibly. Maybe you're seeing an opportunity for more joy and happiness in your life because of marriage. Are you here for companionship? Have you experienced some loneliness and you feel like, you know, marriage is going to end that for me? I'm finally going to have a buddy 24-7 that I can just 
suck all the life out of? No. <laughs> you know, am I combating my loneliness? Is marriage offering me sexual fulfillment because now, you know, everything's, uh, you know, no more off limits and unrestricted availability and everything. Uh, social acceptance. I'd love to be able to get my mother off my back asking me if I've met a nice boy or a nice girl, right? Those kinds of things. Any of those reasons that I just stated, they're potential outcomes of marriage. And, and in some cases, they're appropriate expectations. It's not wrong to want some of those things as a byproduct of your marriage. But none of them have the power to provide ultimate satisfaction or the thing that really keeps a marriage together. Because largely, if we're being honest, those questions would be coming from a selfish perspective. What do I get out of this relationship? Most of us have had one or maybe even several of these reasons for getting married. Few of us at the time that we were married, if you can think that far back or maybe it was recent for you, but few of us have ever consulted the creator of marriage as to what goals he had in mind when he built the institution in the first place. So I'm going to take us back there for just a moment. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis to talk about the very first marriage. And the interesting thing about the way that the marriage was introduced is that creation was playing out in sort of this rhythmic pattern that God was doing this thing and he was following it up with this and he did this and he followed it up with this. And then you get this kind of flow to creation. It's like a rhythm. It's a, it's a, it's a sequential um, movement. You know, when earth was formed, he said it was good. When light appeared, he said it was good. I, I'm so tempted to turn this into a rap and get us all keeping a beat. That's what I want to do with this, right? You know? And then I throw it, uh, yeah, uh. But I won't because my, my kids are here and they'll be embarrassed that I would never do that. So, uh, when the waters formed, they were good. When the land was made, it was good. You get the pattern here, right? Plants, sun, beasts. He creates it. It was good. When man was made, it was incomplete. <laughs> he said it was good. You could find it in your Bible. Say, no, Brett, it says right here. After he made man, he said it was good. But after some time, he pauses. And instead of keeping rhythm, man was made, it was good. Let's move on. Let's keep going. He says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make him a helper suitable for him. So God's solution to Adam's loneliness was not giving him a more important, more demanding job. He had a pretty important, fairly demanding job to begin with. He is the only overseer of the entire creation at this point. Cultivate this, plant this, name that animal, you know, clean up after this one. It's a pretty important job. So God didn't say, well, in order to give you more fulfillment, I'm going to give you more work. Or he didn't send him to a go uh, put a golf club in his hand or sit him down at a poker game, send him on a fishing trip. He didn't even create the Internet. He left that for Al Gore. He didn't want to mess it up, so he left Al Gore to get it right. No, what God did was he created one just like him named Eve. The perfect remedy to an imperfect situation, and please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that God made a mistake, but it was an incomplete situation. As far as the all-wise creator of life was concerned, 
but was an institution that the foundation of society was to be built on. Marriage was God's antidote to man's loneliness. Marriage was given to man as the primary human relationship. Adam would forever see his work and he'd see the care of what are now his many pets in a drastically different light now that he was in the context of a relationship with one who was like him. He would even be given greater understanding of his creator based on the gift that he was given, this unique gift. So over the next several months, as I've got occasion to do this, I'm going to examine the principles contained in Genesis 2. I'm going to seek to challenge husbands to pursue their wives as they pursue the will of God. I'm going to encourage wives to respond to their husbands as though they were responding to the very call of God on their lives. Because I'm convinced that even if we brilliantly solved all of the problems that government promises they're going to solve for us, things like higher taxes or the educational system or health care, war, terrorism, border security, any of these kinds of things that government says they're looking into, which means what they're running on every four years, that we would still see a drastic decline in the sovereignty of our nation. That is if our marriages continue to head in the direction that they're going. More specifically, because I'm talking to the church this morning, that if we continue to approach the institution of marriage in the manner that recent history has demonstrated, there will, there will be no church to speak of in terms of impact or influence as society continues to decay. Who will they look to for hope and answers? So whether we like it or not, marriage is foundational to the health of our church and the impact on a lost and dying world around us. That when our churches lack integrity in marriage, we start to lack authority in so many other areas. Now, I don't intend to exclude anybody this morning. For whatever reason, you may not be in a marital relationship. Maybe it hasn't presented itself to you. Maybe it didn't end well for you. Or maybe you're a widower. Regardless we will continue to be a church that compassionately ministers to people in all of these different stages of life, seeking to help people find their value in Christ above what another human being can or cannot provide. At the end of it all, we are just human beings. We are not God. He will always be the answer to our satisfaction, regardless of the status of our human relationships. So for us, strong and helpful teaching on the roles of husband and wife are a great benefit to the entire church. Even if you're sitting here this morning and feel like it doesn't quite apply to me or it's a negative subject, it's a sore subject in my life, I really don't want to sit here thinking about this right now. Please understand that this is good for the overall health of the church. Healthy, God-honoring marriages bring stability to a church. Couples living in God's will demonstrate a worthy goal for those contemplating marriage. So for those of you that have not yet experienced it, you want examples that you can look to and feel hopeful about. I want something like what they've got. Marriage done God's way helps us all as believers understand to a deeper extent what God has done for his bride, the church. So that's why we're going to get in to this subject. I've already discovered after the first service that I'm only going to get through one point of this message. 
So I will not um, go on beyond our time, but it gives us plenty of material to be able to follow up with. So please understand that as I hit one particular point, you're going to say, but you didn't speak about this or you didn't cover this. I understand that. I may not cover it all, but at least you know that more is coming as we go. Now, one thing that's interesting is I look at um, this subject. I actually had a message that I prepared probably 10 years ago, something similar. So I was like, I wonder what I said then and whether or not I still believe it. So I checked that out and looked at the notes and everything and looked at some of the ways that I said certain things. And even then I was like, man, how culture has changed. I don't know if I could say it quite that way that I did 10 years ago and at least say it in a way that doesn't go down real hard or in a way that doesn't make sense or something along those lines. And and I'm not one to really kind of tiptoe around speaking truth. I really get so frustrated how offended everybody is in culture. I'm so tired of the fact that everyone's offended by something. It doesn't matter who it is or what it is, whether it's directed at them, whether it's intentional or not, I have the right to be offended. And I'm going to let you know I'm tired of it. But at the same time, if I'm being honest, the longer that that happens and the longer that I'm around it, it starts to wear off on me too. And I'm tempted to bite my tongue at things that I think are truthful and things that need to be said. Why? Because it's culturally insensitive. We're going to be talking about the roles of husband and wife going forward as we talk about this. You can't get any more culturally insensitive than the fact that there are two defined roles, one for a husband, one for a wife. What? That shouldn't exist. That's preposterous. It's archaic. What we have to understand is even when I said uh, that, uh, you know, when we were talking at the very beginning of the sermon and I said, what were some of your reasons for getting married? Was it to pursue joy and happiness? There's this cultural thing in us that wants to snicker under our breath and go, good luck with that, buddy. Even if we didn't say it, I was so impressed that you guys didn't say it out loud. I caught some people in the first service. I wanted to bring them up as examples and find out why they were snickering at the thought of marriage, but I didn't. But the second service, you're well-behaved, more refined, dignified people. You didn't, you didn't bite, but I paused. I needed some examples and you didn't give it to me. So kudos on you. But culturally speaking, even when our people come into the pastor's office and say, I want to be married, can you help us out? I always like to find out what have you been hearing? What kind of examples have you had? What's your family structure around you? What do they think of marriage? How have they held up the a, a demonstration for you of what marriage is to be about? And inevitably, most people say, well, let me, let me, just, let me demonstrate it this way. I'll just share my own story a little bit. When I proposed to my wife... Um, she was, I kind of makes sense. She got such a catch that she was so happy to be engaged. They, they laughed just as hard in the first service too. Look, I didn't come here to be made sport of, but she was so excited, you know, to be engaged that on our way home from where I proposed, cause I did it right. We were down on the coast in Massachusetts. So we had an hour and a half drive home and everything. We pull off and get, I get gas and everything. I think it was like a gas station or something. And she was so excited to show off her ring. She didn't care if they were strangers or not. She wanted to tell them, I got engaged. I got engaged, right? And again, we understand why she's that excited. So she, she, she was just expressing, you know, and, and uh, so her thing was, I got engaged. I got engaged. I got And this guy goes, this older guy goes, and why would you go and do a thing like that? So that's our real life demonstration of what most of us receive. You know, marriage is a punchline in society. 
Yes, people are still spending thousands of dollars on beautiful weddings. Yes, people still are going and getting marriage licenses and their blood tests and doing all those kinds of things. They're still making it official, and we're very glad to see that because it seemed like for a few years that that was going to really go by the wayside. And time will tell, but it seems like the Lord is trying to preserve the institution, and he's doing that. But people still care about marriage, but for whatever reason, it's really meant to be the punchline. In society today, it's negative. And this is what our young couples are hearing. This is what some of our people that are getting remarried are hearing and stuff. Well, it failed before. What, what hope do you have for it to work again? You know, so it's just a negative reaction to it. Matthew 7 says this. This is not marriage related. Okay, so let me make the stretch application here. Matthew 7, verse 11 says, if you then, just as Jesus speaking, speaking to mankind, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, in other words, he says, if you're really terrible parents compared to God, which we are, and you still know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So if God, I'm making an inference here, if God has given us marriage, which we know he did to Adam, he gives good gifts to his children. Scripture also says that he who desires a wife desires a good thing. Marriage is a positive. Culture is saying it's a punchline, but it's not. It's a positive. The Bible highly exalts marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 begins by saying that marriage is to be held in honor among all. This is a command. This isn't, hey, some of you are going to luck out. Some of you are going to have these really fulfilling, rewarding marriages. So if you do, celebrate for the rest of us that don't. So I want you to really honor it, really hold it up. No, he says marriage is to be. If you were to underline that in your Bible, you would see that that is a command. It isn't, hey, marriage sometimes really works and it should be cheered when it really works. He says marriage as a thing, as an institution, is to be held in honor, is to be seen and treated and conducted like a positive. So are all marriages honorable? No, individually they are not. Some are, yes. But marriage as an institution is to be honored. You know, every four to eight years, we bring somebody new into the Oval Office, into the White House. And it seems like lately in the last couple of decades, whoever that choice is, is going to tick off 50% of the country. It's that hot or cold kind of thing. And so we are always challenged with, if our candidate gets in, great, good times, we're soaring high. If our candidate doesn't get in, we always run through that grid of like, can I still respect the office of the president even if I don't like the guy who's holding it? And that becomes a challenge for all Americans, right? Because at some point, every 48 years, 50% of the people have to answer that challenge. It shows, even though we're not talking politics this morning, it shows that we have the capacity, the capability to uphold an office, even when some of the details, even some of the personality that's involved in it isn't something that I can really get behind. Apply this to marriage, apply this to your situation. So many people are in a situation where like, I just don't think I can do it. But God gave the institution because he gives good gifts to his children. And because he gives good gifts to his children, marriage is to be held in high honor. Well, I can't hold him up in high honor. I can't hold her up in high honor. 
but you are married. There is an office to uphold. Now, again, this is where you're going to say, yeah, but you didn't explain the caveats. I don't have time this morning, so we will get there. But my point here is to say that if the church made a concerted effort to celebrate, to lift high, to magnify the institution of marriage, it would be like dropping a stone in the pond and seeing how far the ripple effects would go. If we drop the stone in of respect and of positivity, that if people that walked into faith were like, yeah, those people aren't perfect, but man, do they love being married or they, they really support marriages in that church. They really want to see this whole family thing get strengthened. If they got that as they walk through these doors, imagine the ripple effects. Our young people would be more selective on choosing their mates because they've seen it go well. They would have their goals in mind. They would be like, okay, I, I want to be like them. You know, I still have yet to run into a, um, you know, like a teenage girl whose her head might be in the clouds. She might be, you know, all wrapped up in Instagram and all these kinds of things. But the minute that a teenage girl sees an old couple still in love, picture like the park bench and holding hands and getting their sandwiches. They, what do they all do? Oh, it's like, what are you, a cat? It, it hits them in their core because they're going, is, is that for me? Is there going to be somebody there to sit with all through my old age? Is that even possible? They think what they want right now is the best looking, the most popular, the best athlete, all that kind of stuff. But when they're greeted with that, what they really, really want hits them in their core. And they're like, that's what I want. Okay, ladies, amen. Can I? Yeah, I know where it's at. Um, anyway. <laughs> I just had to get in touch with my feminine side for a second. <clears throat> All right. Young people or newlyweds or people that were considering it would seek and respect wise counsel before entering into marriage, not just for self-preservation purposes, not just to fix the other person. My wife and I share our testimony when we're meeting with people that are uh, planning to get married. And we talk about, you know, the fact that we were both raised in a Christian home. I, I could probably quote all of Ephesians five, which talks about the, the role of the husband and the role of the wife. And I knew what the Bible taught and everything. So I was loaded, right? Ready to go. I was going to make this marriage thing work. And the girl that was so excited to show her ring to everybody at the gas station within three months of being married to me, feel like she made the biggest mistake of her life. But I know what the Bible says on how to be right. But my heart said, she needs the change. She needs to grow up. She needs this and this. So we'll do the counseling thing as long as they get through to her. Because I've got this nailed. That's truly what she had to deal with. <laughs> what a gem, huh? Where my heart was at was, Lord, if you send me a wife who's just nice enough to make my life good, or if it can't be that, I want her to be super hot. Now, I will say, fortunately, plug your ears, the Lord gave me both, but he was looking out for me. As I saw, when I saw Chris Ouellette, I wasn't thinking she seems like a really nice person. <laughs> I did not care how nice she was. I'm sorry, kids. My kids are blushing and embarrassed and throwing up in their mouths right now. Another ripple effect. <laughs> yeah, so are you. 
we drop that stone in the pond and the ripples continue. Financial stability would be commonplace in the church. Now, you know, there's been a stat that's been thrown around for a long time now, and so I had to go find something official. Fortunately, Forbes uh, put an article out there in 2015 that was titled, Why Marriage is Good Economics. Even the world is recognizing that when marriage is brought to a community, when marriage is taken seriously, it does good for the economy. Because people are looking out for each other's interests, they're saving towards a goal, or they're spending more wisely if they can, because there's somebody else depending on them to make the right decisions. So even out there in the world, they're saying the marriage, the presence of marriage has been a benefit to us, even in silly things like economics. Only the thing that we all care about all day long, every single day. So why would we suspect that it doesn't bless the church? Why would we think that that isn't going to also bring the same kind of stability and growth inside the walls of the church? Our service would strengthen. You know, we've seen a lot of, uh, we have so many people involved in faith. And I know I'm like a, a little bit gushing on some of the things that we said earlier about the outreach and stuff. But uh, one of the blessings we get to do um, uh, each year is to, to give out some thank yous and stuff to the people that minister on our teams. And I cannot believe the length of these rosters. You know, and there's not a lot of duplicates. People are serving on security or on greeters or they're in the hub or they're in the nurseries or they're, you know, doing all these kinds of things. They're in the band or they're everywhere. People are everywhere. You guys are so busy. Imagine how much more cranked up that would be if, 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 if our people felt like we're doing this as a family. I don't feel like I'm split because I'm, I'm showing up to church early and my spouse is going, why do you always have to give so much to that church? Why do you have to go there again or something? But we're doing this as a team. Maybe we're not doing the same things, but we're sending each other out the door. We're supporting each other. I found it interesting. Uh, a few months ago, we had, um, the, the, uh, New Hope shelter from Seoul and the women's shelter come and present to our men and our women during our advance time. Rebecca Philpot came in here and talked to the ladies. Her husband, Rob Philpot, they're both on the board and uh, they went out, uh, he was out in the hub and he made a really great point to the men. He said, your wives are in there being challenged to take part in a women's shelter. It's, it's a very natural fit and calling for them to think, hey, there's ladies in need. What can we do to help? It's more relatable. It's safer that way. So, you know, most likely it's going to be a woman who's going to respond to that call and help out and pitch in kind of on the ground. Rob said to the men, he says, please don't mistake her calling for not, for you not getting one too. In other words, if she, if God's calling her, he's not doing it independent of you. How can you support her? How can you send her out the door? If it becomes this thing of like, honey, I got to go up. It's a Tuesday night and I've got to go do a Bible study up at the women's shelter or something. Well, no, you can't because we got to pick up the kids from practice. And that's sort of, if we're both called to serve, how are we helping the other person fulfill their calling? These are the kinds of things that really start to change an environment in a marriage. This is the kind of thing that starts to bring purpose between two people. This is more than just how do we get involved in our church and be a part of a, have a civic duty or some kind of club that we belong to. How do we serve and minister together? And we see a lot of folks, a lot of marriages doing that at faith. And the ones that we see that happening with, uh, you know, no coincidence that they are strong marriages. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. Do they sometimes struggle? Are they tired? Do they sometimes overbook? Yes, all of those things. But the reality is, is that the Lord is in control and he's reining them in and using them to great effect. 
So the only point that we were able to get through this whole service is that marriage is a positive. If you and I take ownership of that, regardless of our current state of our marriages, regardless of our current prospects for marriage, or regardless of our past experiences with marriage, if we say, but Lord, the institution that you gave us was a good gift to mankind. How do I uphold it? How do I treat it with honor? If we started just there, I'm not saying that all of you will go home to marital bliss this afternoon. Please don't get me wrong. My heart aches with people that, um, who, who do not experience that and do not enjoy that in their own home. And I, and I'm slow sometimes to encourage people to just, you know, buck up and grin and bear it and things because the Lord's blessed me in ways that I'm like, man, I just don't have that struggle or that trouble. It's not because I'm great. It's really, you know, because of the Lord looking out for me in that particular regard. That doesn't mean Chris and I have never struggled. We've never had to wrestle with some of these things, but, but you know, for the most part, I just hear that and I'm, I'm so heavy that people have to face that. The Lord is in it. He doesn't give us good gifts just to watch it blow up in our face and have no lasting value. Will all marriages be saved? No. Will all spouses uh, receive reciprocation for all of their great efforts? No. This is why believing in eternity is so helpful for us. This is why understanding that this life on this earth is not all we have. Because we really can give ourselves to a cause that the Lord's called us to and receive reward in heaven. And if that's your only reward in it, so be it. But I tell you, there are people all over watching you. And if they see you sticking it out, it gives them hope to endure as well. And maybe they will experience some of those blessings and benefits on this earth that you crave, but you'd still be paying it in that direction for them. Marriage is... A positive. We'll build on that thought going forward. But in the meantime, let's just uh, stand and ask the Lord to let these things resonate in our hearts. God, I want to thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the newness of 2019. Lord, I've long since stopped worrying about the fact that it's cliche to set New Year's resolutions. Lord, it's just the way we work. And so, God, I really ask that we focus on things closest to home. Help us to understand, Lord, that if there's things that we need to improve upon, things that we need to um, increase, things that we need to see come to fruition, that they would happen at home first and foremost. Lord, that this would be a great mission field that you're putting before us. So, Lord, I pray that the people of faith would do all that they can to honor marriage, to uphold it and respect it, to treat it with the intensity and with a blessing that you intended to give us. So God, thank you for, for meeting with us. So our hearts are heavy for Solon this morning, Lord, as they gathered. They got around friends and family missing the key person in their ministry. I pray, God, that you would just comfort their hearts, fill their void, Lord, and lead them down the paths that you've had planned all along because this did not occur to you today. This didn't catch you off guard. So unfold your plans in them, Lord. May we be blown away by how faithful you are to them, how magnificent you are to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.